I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiu, and on today's edition of the show, we're going to be looking back at Arsenal's emphatic Emirates Cup victory over Sevilla yesterday. Lots and lots to unpack. We're going to be talking about the game, the performance. We're going to be discussing some of the individual performers in a little bit more detail. We'll be talking about Mikel Arteta's comments with regards to the remainder of the transfer market. The news that Nuno Tavares is going out on loan. Martin Erdegaard has been confirmed as the club's new captain. There is lots and lots to get into. Uh, big hello to everybody in the live chat. There are lots and lots of you with us, uh, which is amazing. It's great to see so many people like waiting for the streams to begin. Um, I, I never thought when we started this thing that there'd be people like on a Sunday morning uh, spending their time kind of sitting there watching me uh, talk about Arsenal. And of course, a big shout out to everybody who's going to be watching this back on replay. And of course, to those who will be listening via the podcast. If you are listening via the podcast, please do leave us a review. And if you're watching on YouTube, whether live or on playback, please do leave a like on the video and subscribe to the channel if you're new. We're trying to push towards that next milestone in terms of subscribers, and we'd love to get there sooner rather than later. Okay, without further ado, let's dive straight into it. Emirates Cup. I mean, look, in years gone by, we've looked at the Emirates Cup as, as obviously, you know, something that's kind of neither, neither here nor there. You know, for me, um, it's always been something that if I can get to it, I'll go. Um, and I know I say that from a very lucky position of someone who gets to go to the home games regularly, you know, to every game, every home game, you'll you'll find me there. So I know that when I say that, it comes across as a little bit, I don't know, maybe snobby to some people. That's not my intention. But, you know, the Emirates Cup is normally in the summer and, you know, normally it's the week before the season starts. And now I found, you know, sort of moving into a different career and a different role of work that there will be opportunities for me to work on the EFL. And then do I make the decision to basically miss work and go to Emirates Cup? That was how I was thinking about this going into yesterday's game. I was sitting there and I was thinking, well, you know, I could go. Um, I could put some work on hold and go and spend my Saturday at Emirates Cup. And I thought that, you know what, for the for the sake of, of work and for the sake of like trying to keep my bosses happy and trying to push forward, et cetera, et cetera, I will sacrifice Emirates Cup, watch it on TV, and I'll go cover an EFL game, which is what I did yesterday. But I have to say, um, when I got up in the morning, I kind of regretted that decision. Not regretted the decision of, uh, well, I didn't regret the decision of, of going to work and getting an opportunity to do something I really, really love. But I do regret that I was missing out on Emirates Cup. Why? Because I woke up and I scrolled through social media and, you know, people were kind of hyping it up. People were talking about how excited they were for it. People that don't always get to Emirates Stadium. And that was amazing to see people talking about taking their kids for the first time, uh, which was amazing. And then to see that the game was completely sold out was just amazing. And that is probably the biggest indicator yet of the fact that 
when it comes to Arsenal, when it comes to the job that Arteta's doing, that Edu's doing, the group of players that we currently have, this is the most engaged people have been with this team for a long, long time. And the Emirates Cup is a good barometer of that because if that sells out a pre-season friendly at Emirates Stadium, where we play a relatively good opponent normally, but it isn't Real Madrid or Barcelona or Bayern Munich or, or anything like that, you do kind of think, well, that just kind of shines a light again, doesn't it, on how interested people are again and how excited people are for the new season. So I think it was important to mention that, that the Emirates Cup um, obviously gives a, a, an amazing opportunity to so many people who don't normally get to the games to be able to go there and experience it. I know that there's people in this chat that have come from abroad to experience it. And I take my hat off to you um, with regards to your dedication. It's amazing. But to see it not just, you know, have a decent turnout, but actually be a sellout, I thought was was amazing. And and again, you know, just um, just shows how much buzz there is around the club at the moment. Obviously, there were lovely tributes paid as well uh, to Jose Antonio Reyes, a former Sevilla player, as well as Sevilla legend, you'd say, to be honest. And it was great to see both clubs taking the opportunity to pay tribute to him after he sadly lost his life way, way too early due to a tragic accident. Uh, Maria Petri was paid tribute to again as well. There was a, a shirt inside the armory from some pictures I've seen with uh, Maria's name on the back. Amazing stuff. And of course, there was a, a period of appreciation uh, before kickoff for former Arsenal boss and player, of course, Terry Neal. Um, so although it was quite an exciting day and although it was quite a um, positive day, you know, we, we did have some sad moments as well yesterday. And um, I guess, you know, I always think that when you want to, when you look back on someone's life, I, I think it's better to celebrate them than it is to, to be doom and gloom and, and to mourn. And I know that's easy to say when it's someone that, you know, isn't an immediate family member or whatever, but I love the fact that we were able to kind of pay tribute to those people yesterday um, in a, in a celebratory way more than it being, um, you know, it is sad, but you, you know what I'm trying to say? I think I like it when you celebrate someone's life. I think that's the right way to do things. And as I say, I appreciate that that's not always in your power to do that if it is someone really close to you and it can become really, really difficult. But I mean, yeah, just, just the way we dealt with all of those things yesterday, I thought was, was absolute class and, um, and very Arsenal-like. So, um, aside from all the off-the-pitch stuff, well, the performance on it was pretty damn good, wasn't it? And Mikel Arteta started with a really, really strong side. And it's the side that I think I expect to start the game against Crystal Palace in the Premier League on Friday. So how exactly did Mikel Arteta line us up? Well, it was Aaron Ramsdale in goal. It was a back four of Ben White at right back. William Saliba partnered Gabriel in the heart of the defence and Alexander Zinchenko played from the left-hand side. The midfield was made up of Granite Jacker, Thomas Partey and Martin Odegaard with Saka playing from the right, Martinelli from the left and Gabriel Jesus leading the line through the middle. But I think we got a bit of a glimpse and a bit of um, a bit of a preview 
of what's to come, not just in terms of personnel, but from a tactical point of view. And, and you know that, you know, it's a preseason friendly and not everything is going to pan out the way it does in preseason in a competitive league game. But, you know, this close to the start of the season, you know, we're days away. You want to feel that your team is ready and is well prepared. And I think, you know, Mikel Arteta made some comments post-game, didn't he? He said that, you know, we'd still like to do more in the window if the market allows us to. Um, and, and he talked about some outgoings, which we'll come on to in a bit. But I think for the first time in a long time, I feel like Arsenal are going into the start of the season prepared, well prepared. I don't think that was the case last season. And partly uh, that was affected because of the COVID cases, um, because of some of the issues we had there. Injuries right at the start of the campaign. And we've got some injuries at the moment, but... I just feel like now when you look at this team, we're in a much better position than we've been for a few years at the start of the campaign. And I think this year, more than most, that is really, really important. I mean, last year we talked a lot about it and we made a big thing of it. And, you know, I at times lost my head about it as well. It was a real struggle to see Arsenal perform so poorly and, and to be so timid and so fragile right at the start of the campaign. We went to Brentford, we got beat. And then we had two fixtures after that, that I don't think even if we had everybody fit, we stood an awful lot of chance of getting anything from either. So you could argue that it didn't make that much difference in those two games in terms of the outcome. But because the performances were so bad, the, the mood around the club was really negative, really downbeat and really toxic, in fact. But to see Arsenal going into the season now in much better shape, looking comfortable, looking strong, I think was um, was great to see. I want to talk a little bit about the tactics of it all, because as I say, I felt like yesterday, along with some of the other friendlies we've seen, gave us a little bit of an insight and a little bit of a preview kind of, if you like, into um, how it is that Arsenal plan to line up, um, how it is that Arsenal plan to set out their stall against uh, Crystal Palace and, and some of the nuances that we're going to see. So let's start off with the defence, because... A lot has been made of Ben White, you know, having to play it right back at the moment. He's obviously a preferred option over Cedric um, and, of course, Takahiro Tomiyasu, who says on social media that he'll be back ready for the start of the Premier League season, but obviously hasn't had any minutes in preseason, which makes that really, really difficult to think, he, you know, he's going to start straight away. But he is on his way back, which is great. And as Mikel Arteta alluded to, we're going to have to build up those minutes for him and some of the others that have been missing. Kieran Tierney, Emile Smith-Rowe, Fabio Vieira, etc., etc. But I thought it was really, really interesting to see um, the job that was asked of Ben White, because of course, Ben White, you know, is he's a centre-back really, um, but has been asked to play on the right-hand side. And those of you watching on YouTube will be able to see on the tactics board. I will do my utmost to explain it for our audio listeners in the clearest way possible. But what you see is you see um, sort of a lot of width in this Arsenal side at the moment. Martinelli pulling left, Saka pulling right, right up to the touchline. And you're also seeing that the fact that he, uh, Gabriel Jesus and Saka are very, very interchangeable. You know, there was moments yesterday where we saw Gabriel Jesus come completely out to the left-hand side. In the build-up to the second goal, he did exactly that. Chested a ball down pretty much on the touchline. Uh, played it infield to Granit Xhaka, who very much occupies this inside space on the left-hand side now. 
And then he continued his run into the penalty area and got there to finish off uh, the opportunity when the ball fell his way. So it's great to see them interchangeable, you know, and again, go back to that point when Bukayo Saka scored what I think was, was it the third goal or the fourth goal where they the goalkeeper passed it straight to him? Bukayo Saka was on the left-hand side. Bukayo Saka was on the left. So again, highlighting that this front three is very, very interchangeable. And this is an exciting front three, isn't it? Gabriel Jesus has added a, a completely different level. He's brought um, a ruthlessness in front of goal. He's brought a quality in front of goal. He's brought a sophistication uh, to the front three in terms of his movement. He's brought further mobility, which then complements the players around him. I think he's done an excellent job so far, and hopefully it continues into the Premier League. But to see these guys all combining so well and to see the fact that they're all so interchangeable, um, despite you know the season having yet to get underway, is, is really, really positive and really, really good to see. But then this brings me on to uh, explaining a little bit about the midfield and how I expect it to operate. Now, we talked a lot last season about that transition towards Thomas Partey being that lone man in the middle of the park, the guy who is capable of playing that position without a great deal of additional midfield support. And his ability to do that makes him stand out from all the other options. But to think that Thomas Partey, if you think that Thomas Partey is playing that role and covering that entire area on his own, you're wrong. Sorry to say it, but you're wrong. What's actually happening is that the shifting of the shape of the rest of the team is facilitating Thomas Partey to be able to do that. And that gives me not total confidence, but greater confidence in the fact that if Thomas Partey was now unavailable, and hopefully he's not, but if he is, we have the setup to allow somebody else to play that role and be, okay, not as effective as Thomas Partey, but more effective than they might have been in previous seasons. So what exactly do Arsenal do to cover this? Well, this is what happens. Ben White, He's not playing like your traditional right back. He's not getting up and down the flank. He's not going on the overlap of Bukayo Saka. He will be asked to do that from time to time, but he is stepping inside and into the midfield. And the same can be said of Alexander Zinchenko from the left. This is why Alexander Zinchenko was such a good fit. This is why Arsenal wanted him, because we keep talking about his ability to play midfield and that maybe that is his preferred position and that's where he plays his best football. He gets to do that, just not on paper, an awful lot in this Arsenal side. And you almost see Arsenal move into this new formation, which is like a two, three, and then five. That is why we're able to press effectively. That is why we're able to pin teams back in their own half. That is why we are able to dominate football matches. Now, the problem comes if people are able to break our press. And the very, very best teams will be able to do that. But having now two central defenders who are incredibly mobile, incredibly quick across the ground, incredibly physical and incredibly powerful in William Saliba allows us uh, William Saliba and Gabriel, I beg your pardon, allows us to take this risk and allows us to play this way. So the midfield isn't just Thomas Partey alone when the press develops and people push forward. The midfield becomes Partey, Zinchenko and White with Gabriel and Saliba playing just behind them. And those guys have the ability and the mobility to get out to those wide areas and confront people if they need to, allowing White 
and Zinchenko and Partey all to track back in the event that our press gets beaten or somebody wants to be a little bit more direct. But this is largely why Arsenal are now able to squeeze up the pitch, squeeze right up to the halfway line, give people problems, um, pin them in, be overwhelming, be aggressive. I mean, imagine you're a back five or a back four defending against Arsenal and there's this relentless flood of players coming at you, pressing you at all times. You, As a defence, you want to have at least two spare men. You know, you think a back four playing against a traditional front two, they have at least two spare men. The way we suffocate teams, the way we overwhelm teams doesn't allow them to have that at this moment in time. It won't work every time to perfection. It won't work in every single game. But that is the idea. That is the picture. And when I talked about it last week, I talked extensively about why I think we should trust in what Arteta's doing, trust in what Edu's doing. Um, you know, th this was one of the reasons. There is a clear style of play being formed here. And that's what I take confidence from. But you couldn't do this. You know, you couldn't do this with David Luiz at the back. You couldn't do this with Rob Holding at the back. You couldn't do this with Pablo Marie at the back. Equally, was or, or have some of the fullbacks that we've got at our disposal, you know, Cedric, for example, has he got the ability to step into midfield? No, he doesn't. Um, and so that's why Ben White's a better option there. Does Tommy Asu have the ability to do that? He does. He does because he's a player who, for the majority of his career, has played in a central position. And so naturally, he does that. Naturally, he gravitates towards that area of the park as opposed to going on the outside all the time. Now, should these players go on the outside from time to time? Absolutely. I want to see Zinchenko getting forward down the left, and he will do that from time to time. I also want to see Ben White or Tomiyasu, whoever it is that plays that position, going up onto the right-hand side and giving us that little bit of variety. But the overall game model, the overall ideology of what Mikel Arteta is trying to bring to the table is this what I'm showing you right now. A 2-3-5 formation when Arsenal are pressing. And it's really important that the press is followed up. That's why you see Arsenal squeeze so high up the pitch. The front three will lead it. Jesus, Saka, Martinelli, all of whom are very capable of doing that. Xhaka and Odegaard plug the half spaces. Partey will step further forward. Zinchenko will squeeze up to the halfway line as well, as will Ben White. And with Saliba and Gabriel in close proximity too, Arsenal are essentially saying to their opponents, we want to play the game in one half of the pitch. And if you can do that, if you can limit the game to a very small, specific area. It's much easier to press. It's much easier to be energetic. The pressing game falls apart when you're asked to cover wide spaces. It's too much work. It's too much running. But if you can make the pitch smaller, if you can make the area in which the game is played as small as possible, you stand a much better chance of closing people down, of pinning people in. And if you're sharp and if you zip the ball around yourselves with all those bodies getting into the penalty area, as we saw on numerous occasions yesterday, you stand a much better chance of scoring goals. So that is very much for me what this Arsenal game model looks like nowadays. That is very much for me what Mikel Arteta is trying to implement. And he's finally, you know, he started to get closer to it last season. Um, but he's finally, finally starting to get to a point where he's got literally the players required to carry out what he wants to do. Now, I still think where we're a little bit short is 
when we have injuries. Okay. I always say this though, but you need to build your team first. Once you've built your first team, then you can look beyond that. And once you start um, embedding that down and you know what it is that you want and, and what it is required of the signings that you go on to make, you can then go out and you can bring in the right players to complement that. So depth is still a bit of a worry for me, but I've mentioned a number of players that aren't even in that 11 that we're looking at now. You know, there isn't a Kieran Tierney in there. There isn't a Takahiro Tomiyasu. There isn't a Fabio Vieira and there isn't an Emil Smith-Rowe. So we're getting closer to building the level of depth that we need, but we're still not quite there um, at this moment in time. But, you know, the, the, the downside to playing this way, and, you know, I'm sorry, Dave, um, I'm not sorry, Dave, but that's Dave's name in the chat. Says need to be on it all the time or counterattacks could kill us. I, I think you're right. I think that's the risk that you run when you play this way. You know, counterattacks could could hurt us. I think we're better equipped now to deal with counterattacks than than we were previously because of the personnel that we have. And, you know, Aaron Ramsdale is, is not afraid to stand on the edge of his penalty area and come and sweep things up as well. Um, but I would say that throughout Mikel Arteta's tenure as Arsenal boss, even at the very beginning, when things were still a little bit iffy, still a little bit up and down, I think under him, we've always been better than we were previously at dealing with counterattacks. So that gives me encouragement that he will work out the balance. You know, the, the benefits that we will get from playing this way, in his mind, will outweigh the negatives and the risks that come from playing with such a high line. But yeah. Um, that's that's clearly the game model that he's trying to implement. That's clearly the way he wants us to play. Um, and that's clearly what we're going to see a lot of in this current season. OK, just before I continue and to go, and go on to discuss some individual performances, please do leave a like on the video if you haven't done so already. There's over 550 of you with us live right now, but we've only got 130 likes on the board. That's not good enough. Let's get it up to 300. It should be light work. There's more than enough of you watching. Please do leave a like on the video, subscribe to the channel um, if you haven't done so already. Okay, let's talk about some of the individual performances. Let's quickly run through the team. Aaron Ramsdale didn't have an awful lot to do um, yesterday. So I think, you know, I haven't really got an awful lot to say about Ramsdale. Um, based on yesterday, nothing negative, but nothing overly impressive either. No fault of his own, just because Arsenal were so dominant um, in the game. Uh, let's move into the defence. I thought Ben White played the role that I've just described as, you know, really, really well. I think he's getting better at it. I think he's getting more comfortable at it. I think, again, Ben White will have bought in, been brought in with the idea of not necessarily playing at right back. I don't think that was ever in the plan. That would be pretending that Mikel Arteta for something foresaw something that he clearly didn't. But, um, you know, when Ben White was signed, there was a lot of talk about his ability to play in defensive midfield, his ability to step further up the pitch. And I think we're seeing the benefits of that now um, in this uh, this current system with him having to protect uh, the area or cover the area uh, that Takahiro Tomiyasu would normally playing. William Saliba, I mean, he just looks more and more comfortable every time he puts on an Arsenal shirt. He looks formidable. He looks powerful. He looks intimidating. He looks calm. He looks composed. And um, and I've said it before and I'll say it again. That loan spell, I think, the last one especially, has really seen him go to another level. And I'm really hopeful and excited about what we're going to see from him this season. And I'll tell you what, when Tommy Astu does come back, Mikel Arteta is going to have 
if indeed he picks Tomiyasu ahead of White, he's going to have one hell of a decision on his hands because William Saliba hasn't put a single foot wrong this preseason. I don't, like, I can't think of one moment um, where he's put a foot wrong. And you know, if you want to encourage competition, if you want to, if you want to kind of create an environment in which the competition is at its fiercest. And as a result of that, you get the best possible level. Then you can't drop players that are doing absolutely nothing wrong. You can't drop players who have been pretty much perfect. Gabriel has been very, very similar in that. But we already knew what Gabriel was capable of. I've talked about it in the past. I think that from time to time, Gabriel has had these disaster games. And he has sort of two or three of those a season when you look at him and you go, you're too rash. You've lost your head. You need to calm down. Um you know, it's it's it happens with Gabriel, but just signs that the older he gets, the more mature he gets, the more football he plays, the less frequent those games become, the less of those moments he has, and the better defender he's becoming. So yeah, I'm really really impressed by by both the centre backs, Zinchenko. Um, again, you know, very very tidy on the ball, uh, very suited to what is being asked of him, stepping in field, getting involved in the midfield, very comfortable. Uh, very technical and, you know, also has that ability to go on the outside as well. And what you get with, with Zinchenko that maybe you don't always get with Kieran Tierney is that when he does get in the final third, I think sometimes Kieran Tierney just kind of by default puts the ball into a certain area in the box where he probably expects his striker to be. And maybe now with Gabriel Jesus in the side, that will bear far more fruit. But I think Zinchenko just has that little bit more composure when he gets forward. And, and does take a moment and does look up and does pick people out um, in a far more effective way. So I, I quite like what I've seen from Zinchenko so far. The flip side of that, though, is that I don't think he's as good a defender as um, as Kieran Tierney. I think Zinchenko's a good defender, but not a great defender. And I think that when he plays against the league's very best fullbacks, we're going to have to, as a team, make sure that we protect him, make sure... Um, make sure that we give him the cover he needs and make sure that we don't leave him isolated because I I wouldn't back him in a one-on-one with Mo Salah, for example. I wouldn't back many players in a one-on-one with Mo Salah, but I'd prefer Kieran Tierney to be the one dealing with him, if that makes sense, just because defensively, I think he's got a little bit more about him. But I think technically Zinchenko is better. Technically, um, I think Zinchenko gives us more security there. And I think that Zinchenko, when he does cross the halfway line, has a little bit more to offer as well um, than Kieran Tierney, who we hear is going to be back for the start of the season, but isn't going to be fit enough, uh, having had no minutes in preseason to start at Crystal Palace. Um, but yeah, again, competition in the team is is obviously good and obviously positive. Moving into midfield, I thought Thomas Partey was very good again, um, very composed, very controlling, very dominating in the middle of the park, which is ultimately what you want to see from him. Again, helped though, as I mentioned, by the environment around him. Now, I'm not saying that Thomas Partey deserves no credit for his performances in that position, but I do think the more we're building around him and the more we're getting together the team that Mikel Arteta kind of envisaged, the more easy it becomes for Thomas Partey to play that role and do it to a good standard every single week. 
because he's got the players around him now. He's got the environment around him. And ultimately, by doing what we're doing, by playing this way, the area which he's asked to cover, the area which he's asked to patrol is um, is decreasing. And going back to the point I made earlier about trying to press people and maybe trying to make the pitch as small as you possibly can so there's less ground to cover, less area to cover, less area in which you need to be running up and down. You know, the the the, the same principle applies there for Thomas Partey in midfield. Moving on to Granit Xhaka. I thought he was superb yesterday. Again. And, you know, I, I just, I mean... I'll be honest, I, I missed the last 20 minutes of the game yesterday because I was I was at AFC Wimbledon for, for BBC Radio London. And um, I got there and I logged on my laptop and I sat and I watched the Arsenal game. Um, but when it got to about two o'clock, obviously I could have gone on air at any point, um, you know, to, to preview the game and, and was on air giving updates. I couldn't be half concentrating on on the Arsenal game and and half concentrating on a game involving teams that I obviously don't know as well and and therefore you know my my player identification has to be better my research has to be better etc so I'll be honest I missed the last 20 minutes I've since caught up with it which is why you guys had to wait till today for the post match reaction podcast but um what I did see on social media sort of at half time of the Wimbledon game when I was scrolling through and and catching up with sort of people's reactions was some people, not a lot, but some, saying, imagine what this team would be without Granite Xhaka in it. Imagine what we'd look like without Granite Xhaka in it. Imagine, you know, how much better we'd be if we had X player instead of Granite Xhaka. Imagine what we'll look like when Fabio Vieira comes into that role instead of Xhaka. And it's like, why can't you just give the guy praise for performing? He's been Arsenal's most consistent performer, I would argue, for probably the last two seasons now. Well, certainly in the top three. People just don't want to admit it. I like, is it a fear of admitting you were wrong or you read him wrong or, or you got it wrong? Or, you know, you might not have even read him wrong. I think at times he's looked out of place and at times he's, he's not looked good. There's no question about it. Since Mikel Arteta's arrival, his game has gone up a few levels. You know, it really has. But why can't people admit that? Why can't, why, like, either you're scared to be wrong, uh, to admit that you were wrong. You're failing to accept that he has improved under Arteta. Or you're just being a knob. Like, it's as simple as that. Um, you know, I, I think I think he, he did really, really well again yesterday. And he's showing a bit more confidence. And again, goes back to that point, which I I feel like I've made this point about 50 times on this episode, but I am going to be on my soapbox. So uh, like it or lump it. Again, when you limit the area of space that somebody who maybe isn't the most mobile has to cover, the more impactful they're going to be, the more comfortable they're going to be, the more they're going to thrive. And so when working out a system, you, you have your overall principle and you have your overall um, game model, but you will need to make tweaks to suit the players that you've got until you get to a place where you've only got players that suit your system. And, you know, we're, we're not quite at that point yet. There are still players in there that you'd say maybe aren't 100% fit for the role or, you know, the, the perfect fit for the role. 
um, that, that they're being asked to do. But just when someone plays well, as Arsenal fans, get behind them, support them, admit it. Like, what's the problem? Chris says, um, is it wrong wanting better quality, Harry? Xhaka bias again. No, it's not wrong wanting better quality. But there are better quality wingers in the world than Bukayo Saka, than Gabriel Martinelli. There are better midfielders in the world than Thomas Partey. There are better centre-backs than Gabriel and Saliba. There are better goalkeepers than Aaron Ramsdale. There are better strikers than Gabriel Jesus. But I don't hear anybody making those same points when it comes to them. Because people don't have agendas against them. People don't still feel... Um, you know, people don't still feel angry towards those people because of something that happened in the past that I think both sides were at fault for. It's not wrong wanting better quality. You should always strive for better quality. But, you know, let me put this in a way. Let me go back to one of my J-Lo examples. I know you people love a good J-Lo example. If your wife isn't better than J... No, wait, I'm going to offend someone here. Do I say this? If J-Lo is better looking than your wife, but J-Lo is unattainable for you, would you kick your wife to the side and ignore the fact that you've, you have you fell in love with her, ignore the fact that you've had kids and, and you, you love each other even more as a result of that, ignore the fact that your relationship has developed and built over a number of years because you want what's better? Obviously, you want the most best looking wife you could possibly have in the world, but that's not always achievable. So if you spent the whole time you're with your wife looking at another woman and saying, oh, I want her, I want her, I want her, what good does that do? That's completely wrong. You know, Granite Xhaka is ours. He's our midfield player. I know it's a weird example, but Granite Xhaka is our player. He's our midfield player. I will back every single one of our players while they are wearing the Arsenal shirt. And you'll always look and you'll always see better in anything, not just football. You know, you could go buy a brand spanking new car and the next week someone else would go and buy one that's better than yours. You just get rid of the car that you just spent your savings on. No, you don't. You know, just stop like being like, just, you know, oh, we always want an up. Yeah, of course we want an upgrade, but that goes for every single position. But I don't hear anybody talking about other players in that same light is the point. Um, Wandering Minstrel says looks aren't everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why, you know, you want someone that's committed, like Xhaka is committed at the moment. You know, he, he is giving everything for the team. It's, it's not just about looks, but the example I was trying to make is that in any walk of life, you can look at something that's better than what you, you can find something that's better than what you currently have if you are of that mindset. You buy a brand new BMW, six months later, a new one comes out. That's automatically better than the one you've got. You get the new iPhone and a year later, the next iPhone comes out. Does that mean that the iPhone that you bought initially was shit? No, it doesn't. It just means that, you know, you can keep going like that. You can keep wanting more in every walk of life. And, and if you're like that and you're never satisfied and you're never focused on what you do have, you just be a lost soul. Uh, Kebab Abdi says that Harry definitely sleeping outside tonight. Listen, my my missus knows I've got a massive crush on on a uh, J Lo, and uh, there's no uh, 
there's no animosity there. <laughs> 33 uh, says, dude, you're sleeping on the couch tonight. Yeah, probably. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, what else have we got? Um, let's see what we got. Uh, Guna Colt says, Harry, you're approaching this with the wrong perspective. Those people have it right. Xhaka, compared to the rest of the team, is a rotational player. We need to go and get a starter like Sergei Milinkovic-Savic. If we get him, great. Take Granit Xhaka out of the team. But right now, we don't. Right now, we don't have Sergei Milinkovic-Savic. Right now, we don't have Yuri Tielemans. Right now, these are the players that Mikel Arteta has at his disposal. And whether you think there is an upgrade on the horizon or not, whether you think that's possible or not, whether you think it's something we should be really working towards or not, you cannot deny that he played well yesterday and you cannot deny that he played well for the most part of last season and for the most part of the season before that. You cannot deny when somebody has a good performance just because your overall opinion is that they can be upgraded. There is not a single Arsenal player in that squad that cannot be upgraded. So let's not pick on individual ones and, and sort of always trying to score points because in the past we said he was shit. Let's keep moving. Dave Atkinson says, uh, let's hope your wife does not watch this show. She doesn't. She doesn't. I wouldn't swap my wife for J-Lo, by the way, um, just to be clear. But the point I'm trying to make is if you're just looking at aesthetics, you'll always, you know, you'll always look at something else and go, oh, yeah, that's better. That's better. That's better. Not not in terms of wives, in terms of everything. I've got I've got a phone. There's a new one out. It's better than mine. If I was obsessed with getting the new phone the minute the new phone came out that's all i'd be doing i'd be chasing my tail just appreciate what we've got in granite Xhaka. he's a, a decent operator and um and when we can upgrade i'm sure we will okay anyway let's uh let's move on from Xhaka. let's talk martin odegaard who's also just been named the new arsenal captain i think we all knew that was coming i think we all uh, or largely, anyway, agreed that that would be the right decision for Mikel Arteta to make because of his attitude, because of his work rate, because of his availability. Um, so many, um, so many reasons uh, to give it to Martin Odegaard. And, and, you know, yesterday we got that announcement just before the game. And obviously he was uh, met with a lot of love inside the stadium by the by the Arsenal uh, fans who uh, have uh, really taken to Martin Odegaard since his Arrival on a permanent transfer last summer. So, yeah, look, I think it was the right call. He's not your traditional captain in the sense of he doesn't necessarily go around beating his chest, shouting, screaming. But the captaincy thing, it's its changed. It's developed over the years. It's moved on. And Martin Odegaard is a great ambassador, great role model, and someone with the football intelligence to make sure that his teammates are carrying out the instructions uh, put to them by the manager. Uh, Tony W says, I'd swap my wife for JLo. <laughs> Love it. Uh, Tom says, uh, <laughs> giving a donation to Harry's hotel room after his uh, wife swap conversations. <laughs> Thank you so much, mate. You never know. I might need it. I might need it. No, look, jokes aside, I wouldn't swap my wife for anyone. That's not the point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is how can you ever be happy or satisfied about something or with something? if you're always obsessed with looking elsewhere. And it goes without saying that upgrades are available in every walk of life, every single day. But 
sometimes focus on what you've got and and how you can get the maximum out of that and how you can develop that and appreciate what you've got because one day you might have nothing you know what we could if arsenal this is a great this is a great way to sum it up if arsenal lost granite Xhaka for 6 months next week to injury i'm telling you we'd feel it we'd feel it there's no question about that so let's not disrespect the player why he is available because when we are missing him we will suffer Thank you, uh, Tom, for your very, very kind donation, mate. Really, really do appreciate it. Moving on to the front three. Um, good to see Bukayo Saka looking rested, looking sharp. Um, and I think that he is only um, he is only going to uh, improve further uh, playing with the likes of Gabriel Jesus and with Martin Odegaard, who, with whom he already uh, combines really, really well. Uh, I think just th that whole dynamic up top is is really exciting. Uh, it really, really is. And uh, Bukayo Saka showed last season and, you know, it is hopefully going to continue to show a lot more ruthlessness in front of goal. Took the penalty really, really well after winning it. And um, yeah, hopefully he'll continue to uh, improve and continue to take his game up to higher levels. Uh, Gabriel Jesus was Gabriel Jesus. I mean, what can I say? His energy is infectious. He leads the press excellently. Very interchangeable with the rest of the front three, as I talked about earlier on. Um, a deadly, deadly finisher, despite what people were trying to tell us before he came to the club. He's playing with confidence. He's playing with a smile on his face, linking up superbly with Odegaard, Saka already. Also, Gabby Martinelli. You know, I mean, I think that Jesus has bought more out of Martinelli. And I really do feel like moving on to Martinelli. Because, I mean, Jesus' hat-trick was great, right? How many times are we going to kind of talk about it? Um, and his ability to finish brilliantly, great. But I really want to focus on Gabby Martinelli because I really feel like this is his breakout season. I really do feel like we saw that from Saka last season. And we probably would have seen it from Smith Rowe in terms of his outputs and his impact if he'd been able to stay fit. But he kept picking up injuries. That meant he was in and out of the team, which then in turn affected his rhythm and saw him struggle to pin down a place towards the back end of the campaign, even when he was fit. But Saka really did go up a notch last season. And I think that we're going to see that from Gabby Martinelli because there is far more maturity in his game now than there has ever been. Um, he, he presses at the right times. He reserves energy now at the right times. He drifts in field at the right times. He stays wide at the right times. He combines well at the right times. And he's got that selfish ruthlessness in and around the penalty area when he needs to show that, again, at the right times. I think there's much more maturity to Gabriel Martinelli now, and I really do believe that going into this new campaign, this is the time to be excited about him. And again, you know, if it does go on to be the case, if it does prove to be the case that, you know, this is very much his breakout season, then again, even though people won't want to admit it, just like they won't want to admit that Granit Xhaka's improved and that he's he's been in good form, People will have to admit that when Mikel Arteta was spending tons of time with him on the training ground and suggesting that he wasn't quite ready to play week in, week out, and that there were areas of his game in which he needed to tweak and areas in his game in which he needed to mature, that he was probably spot on. Because, you know, you give someone everything at the beginning and they don't appreciate it. And I'm not saying that Martinelli's character is of that nature, but... If Gabriel Martinelli had been in the team all the time, 
right at the start of Mikel Arteta's tenure, obviously after he came back from that injury, he was bedded back in slowly, but he was also clearly given things to work on. And those things were ultimately the reasons explained to him as he as why he wasn't in the side. And, and Mikel Arteta made it clear that if you fix those things, then you'll get your chance. And obviously he's gone away and he's worked on those things. And he's been a much, much better player of late for that. And and that front three, I mean, I've talked about it so many times over the last few weeks. You know, every time I see it, I know it's only preseason. Every time I see it, I'm kind of like, whoa. Um, it's so explosive. It's so dynamic. It's everything that you want it to be. And um, yeah, and and I think Gabby Martinelli has very much earned that left wing position now. I think that, you know, it's his to lose, and rightly so, because he's he's hardly put a foot wrong. And if he continues to do that, then Emil Smith-Rowe's got one hell of a job on his hands trying to wrestle it back from him and trying to get um, more game time. It, it's Yeah, it, but the competition is good. The competition is healthy. It's exactly what we need. Let's talk a little bit about some of the departures um, over the last few days, and then we will take some of your questions uh, from the live chat box. Um, I can see that there are uh, 200 and 35 likes on the board, but there's nearly 800 of you with us live right now. That is not at all good enough. Uh, so please, please do get involved in the likes. Um, the more likes, the better. Uh, the more it helps the video get out to more people. Subscribe to the channel as well if you are new. Um, would really, really appreciate that. So uh, if you are a freeloader, i.e. you're not subscribed, uh, please do uh, join the Chronicles of Aguna family. If you'd like to go one further by becoming a member, you can do so by clicking on the link in the description. Okay, um, let's talk about some of the outgoings. Uh, Arthur Okonkwo has joined Crew Alexander on loan. Crew Alexandra, I beg your pardon, on loan. Yeah, I mean, needed to happen. Don't think he would have got much of a look in in and around the first team this season. Um, still looks a little bit raw based on what I've seen of him and probably needs that routine of playing games week in, week out. And he'll certainly get that opportunity there. So I think that's a smart move. Good to see it uh, getting confirmed. Nuno Tavares has also gone out on loan and he will join Marseille. Now, as far as I'm aware, there is no option to buy, no obligation to buy, none of that jazz. Nuno Tavares has joined Marseille on a simple loan deal um, after making 28 appearances for us in all competitions last season, scoring once and assisting twice. Um, you know, he's somebody who's got so much raw ability. He's quick. He's powerful. He's, uh, you know, incredibly mobile. Uh, he's got so much going for him, but there are a, th a few elements to his game, in my opinion, that just need fine tuning. And I think that he isn't going to get that at Arsenal at this moment in time because there are now two left backs ahead of him. So he does need to go out. He does need to play week in, week out. And, you know, when you go to, when you go to, um, somewhere like Marseille, you, and I've talked about this with Saliba in the past, you have a lot of the same pressures that you get at Arsenal in that it's a big club, in that they're expected to, um, you know, they're expected to win week in, week out. There's a big fan base. There's a lot of scrutiny on your every move and every action. So that kind of prepares you well for Arsenal um, and for a club of Arsenal's size. He will play 
regularly. And that will give him the opportunity, as I say, to fine tune those elements of his game, but to also gain some experience. Because I don't think a lot of people realised how inexperienced he was at the senior level before he came to Arsenal. And so to see him, you know, lose his head at times, to see him lose concentration, to see him be overwhelmed or overawed by occasions actually shouldn't have come as a surprise. What I take heart from is that even when he went through difficult moments, he he always seemed to have the confidence in his own ability to still try the things that have made him stand out. And and when you think about how many teams in Europe have reportedly been interested um, in Nuno Tavares as well, it goes to show that there is something there. So I think this was the best way to deal with it, the best way to to get him out there and and get him sort of continuing his development. You know, when you loan someone out, it doesn't always mean you're shutting the door on them. Um, you know, and and if you do loan them out and it's a successful loan, well, everybody wins because you can either, you know, that player as an individual develops, that player as an individual fine-tunes elements of their game, moves forward, um, puts themselves in the shop window if indeed Arsenal decide that it's not the player for them moving forward. So you either get a good player back or you get a player that you could now move on and you can probably make back the money and more that you paid for them. So, yeah, um, I think that was the right move. I, I really do. I think Pablo Marie's probably close to an exit as well, although that's not been officially confirmed. We hear that he's moving to Fenerbahce. Um, you know, there will be more departures. There's no question about that between now and the end of the window. Let's hope that we can get those done um, in time to then facilitate us doing maybe one or two more bits of business as well and putting ourselves in a better position. Okay, guys, let's take your questions. Let's take your thoughts from the live chat box um, for the last sort of 10 minutes or so of the show. Remember, leave a like on the video. Uh, subscribe to the channel. If you're new, if you're listening on audio, please do leave us a review. Uh, let's take this question from Lynn, who says, Harry, hypothetically, if you think that we were to bring in a quality winger and not one who is going to sit on the bench, is there a possibility that Arteta moves Saka into Xhaka's position and so no Tielemans. I've heard, you, you know what, Lynn? You're not the first person I've been asked this question by. Um, not on here, but a few friends of mine have kind of brought up that suggestion um, over the past few days and, and we've been discussing it. I think that this ideology maybe comes from the fact that Bukayo Saka in the very beginning of his Arsenal career showed a lot of versatility, played at left-back, played in the 10 role, played on the left wing, has played on the right wing to good effect, has played as a wing back. I personally think that where Saka plays currently, it's his best position. I think that's his best position. And I'm very reluctant to see him moved away from that. I don't think that he is the ideal midfielder um, for a number of reasons. I think that it's a position that requires a different skill set. And I actually think that in the middle of the park, you need a bit more physical presence. And Granit Xhaka is a big guy. He gives you that. Um, you know, again, not going to go into the, the debate over Xhaka because we've done that to death today. But I think that Xhaka gives you a physical presence that maybe Bukayo Saka isn't able to give you. And so, no, it's not something I would do. Um, I've never ruled Mikel Arteta out of doing it because I think he really has a lot of faith and trust in Saka. 
uh, to play in a number of roles, but I don't think that's at the top of his list. I think he's had opportunities to change things around and, and put Saka in different positions when we've been really desperate. He's had opportunities to play Pepe from the right and put Saka at wing back when we were really struggling for a left back last season and he didn't do it which indicates to me that he really does think that that is Saka's best position, that position on the right wing. And unless the world is crumbling down around him, I don't expect him to, to make a change there. Uh, Wandering Minstrel says that Harry, one more signing only until the next window. Who do you want and why? Um, I guess I got, I want to be realistic about this, right? I'm not going to pluck names out that just, are unrealistic and, and would never really happen and you know just financially don't make sense of the names that we've been linked with and and of course there will always be people out there that Arsenal will be looking at that we just don't know about but of the names that are out there you know I'm probably going to look at Yuri Tielemans because I think he's attainable for a good price I think he could play in that midfield position I think he'd add greater depth and quality to our midfield options beyond that starting three. I've got no issue with that three that we've got in midfield now starting every single week. But we know, in particularly in Partey's case, it's probably not going to be the case uh, because he does have a tendency to break down with frequency. And um, and that's not good. Uh, Rancy Pumpkin says, uh, which player has the biggest potential to surprise this season? I go for Eddie. Well, I've mentioned that I think this is going to be Martinelli's breakout season, but I think Eddie will probably have a decent campaign as well. Um, you know, I think he'll score more goals. I think he'll be more involved. And I think that, you know, he'll he'll give us that ability to press Hassel Harry as well up top in the way that Lacazette couldn't. Uh, Ayush says, uh, have you been or are you following the Commonwealth Games going on in Birmingham right now? I haven't seen um, an awful lot of it, but I, I do try and catch it when I can, mate. But um, I haven't been right across it. I've got to be honest. Uh, Rancy Pumpkin says, is it coming home today? Of course, England's Lionesses are in the Women's European Championship final uh, this evening, 5 p.m. UK time. That kicks off and it's between England and Germany. Dream final, really, isn't it? In front of a sold out Wembley. Is it coming home? It could well be coming home because uh, England have been superb in this tournament so far. They really, really have. Beth Mead of Arsenal has been unbelievable. Leah Williamson uh, has been great, too. And there's a few Arsenal players involved in that group. So, yeah, I wouldn't mind uh, seeing it come home. Germany, uh, uh, Germany, though, in, in all sports, in all issues, you know, you, you kind of just know that they're going to be efficient. They're going to be stubborn. They're going to be difficult to beat. So it's by no means a foregone conclusion. But I do make England favourites given they're at home and, uh, and given, you know, they could potentially make history in front of a packed out Wembley Stadium. Uh, let's see what else we've got in terms of your questions. Guys, if you've put a question in, don't spam it. Like there's one guy here, Jarman TV, who's put the same question in about nine times. I will answer it because you've made it unavoidable, <laughs> but don't put the same question in, um, eight times. It drives me crazy. Um, Harry, how many players and years are we away from winning the league? Well, we've already won it next season. So that answers that question. No, look, it, it's difficult to say because it's obviously contingent on what, Liverpool do, what Man City do, what the other clubs around us do, as well as what we're capable of ourselves. I, I still think we're a few years away from challenging for the league, but we're certainly putting the right foundations in place. And that is, for me, um, you know, the the main thing right now. Putting us on the right path, um, putting us in the going in the right direction, building the foundations 
and uh, let's see. Let's see. Okay. I am going to take one more. Uh, I'm going to take this one from uh, Sergeus, who says, what position do you think we will be by the time the World Cup comes around? That's really interesting because obviously this is a very unique season. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit more detail when I do my season preview podcast, which is coming up on Monday. And um, we're going to do a real in-depth preview of the upcoming campaign. Going to talk about all the different elements, all the all the different players, all all the expectations that I have on a personal level, what I think the club have. Um but I guess for me, I just want to be in the race for the top four. I, I just want Arsenal to get Champions League qualification next season. That's my goal. How we do that, you know, I, I don't mind too much. If it's via the Europa League route, great. We get a trophy on top of it. The league will give me a better indication of, I think, where we are in comparison to our peers, because I think the Europa League is ultimately a cup competition. But I say ultimately, it is a cup competition. But I think the league will be a better barometer of any progress that we make and where we are. I think the eye test is key in that as well. You know, are you enjoying what you're watching? Are you seeing improvement with your eyes? Forget the stats and all of that jazz for a minute. So, yeah, um, I just want to be in the top four by then. I, I think that's a realistic goal and ambition to have for sure. Okay, um, I am going to leave it there because we're hitting the hour mark. Um, I'm going to go and chill a little bit, spend some time with the kids um, and uh, and sit and watch the Lionesses a little bit later on as well. Don't forget to like the video. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel. Apologies if I didn't get around to your question, but we're going to do some real in-depth shows this week and there's plenty of time for you to get those questions in. Uh, for those of you going to the Palace match, hit me up, um, send me a DM. I'm going to be at Palace on Friday. It'll be great. And I'm going to be down there a bit early as well because um, I'm going to finish work at lunchtime. So it'll be amazing uh, to meet some of you, have a little bit of a, uh, a drink up uh, before the game begins. I'll catch you all very, very soon. Until next time, take care. Thanks for tuning in. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon.